Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week it is my honor and joy to come on here and bring you great conversations with people all over the world making great things for kids. Have I got a show for you today? I am on the line with Mr. Bob Moog. Let me introduce you to Bob. University Games was founded by Bob Moog and Chris Lehman. They recognized a developing niche in social interaction and learning games for adults and children, and so began the path of University Games on April 1st, 1985. The first product released was Murder Mystery Party, which generated $385,000 in 1985. Then in 1987, Bob co-invented 20 Questions, that classic game, 20 Questions, which much like Murder Mystery Party has been a mainstay for university games for the past 31 years. Bob continues to push into new market spaces with innovative games and leveraging licenses like Dog Man and Pete the Cat and Eric Carle. Bob, it's an honor to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Phil. I've been a big fan for a long time, and I uh, I appreciate you having me on and look forward to talking to the Power Kid podcast audience. Well, wonderful, Bob. Thanks so much for being in the audience, and you are absolutely welcome now to be a guest. I always start in the same place. How did you get started in the toy and game industry? Well, I guess I, I got started when I was a kid playing games and playing with toys and just really enjoying them. And then, uh, when I was in college, I had, um, trivia was just getting popular. The trivia encyclopedia had come out. I was, I was in college in the late seventies and I decided, uh, to start when I transferred to uh, Stanford, a thing called the trivia, uh, bowl. And it was a uh, student faculty and, alumni event where people would form teams and we had live trivia competitions and that got me interested in games and uh when i when i graduated uh i got a call i was recommended by the career counseling people because i had no job to go and um help nolan bushnell who was starting a new company called axlon games and he hired me to create a uh trivia game on business and that was the first game I ever created. I did it with several other people. And I got the bug and decided I would uh, start a company with Chris Lehman, who was a, uh, a friend of mine since I was a teenager. And the two of us had never started a company before. We had no idea what we were doing. We each took our life savings, which was about $10,000 each, and we started University Games and um, had this idea for a murder mystery party, um, which was totally a new idea at the time. Uh, and that's what got us going. And we've bootstrapped our way to, you know, now 35 years later to being one of the you know top 10 game companies in the world. 
Yeah. Now, you mentioned the name Nolan Bushnell. Did you have any idea at that time who you were going to be working with? You're talking about Atari, Chuck E. Cheese, just an absolute legend in the industry. So at the time that I went to work for him, it was it was actually I I graduated. Then I did a variety of odd jobs and then I went back to graduate school. And so by that time I had graduated from graduate school and it was 1984 and he had already been through Atari, started Chuck E. Cheese. He had um, he had had eight or nine companies that he had started and, and, and built. And I, he was a legend in Silicon Valley and in Northern California. So I was very excited to go work with him and uh, just had a great time with Nolan Bushnell. He's a really funny guy. He's the guy, you know, who he used to say things like, got a hunch, bet a bunch. You know, he was very risk seeking. Um, he was the one who said, the one who dies with the most toys wins. You know, he had those kinds of sayings. And uh, just a, he still is a very happy guy uh, who's quite a visionary. Uh, and, and I really, uh, I got inspired from him and, uh, and went off and started University Games with Chris Lehman. And uh, we really were, were, were excited about it. Um, I was only with Nolan Bushnell for three or four months. It wasn't a long time because I just had this bug to start my own company. Right, right. Well, he's, he's one of those guys that uh, he makes you wonder and reach and look out and say, OK, what is possible? We've seen we've seen what Nolan has done. What's possible? Wow. Yeah. The world is open to us. Murder Mystery Party. Why that one? What What are you proud of with that game? Your first game right out of the gate, uh, yeah. a, 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 a nice success. Thirty one years later, still selling skews with Murder Mystery Party. What made that one special? Well, what I what I said at the time was games have historically been for children and the people at Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers know how to make games for children. But there's only one game for adults, and that's Trivial Pursuit, which, by the way, came out in the U.S. in 1982. So it had only been out for a couple of years. And I said, I think Trivial Pursuit has proven that there's this entertainment for adults, particularly young adults, 18 to 30 which is where I, what my age was. And let's see if we can think of some new different things to do. And so we developed this idea that broke all the rules. We created a game that you can only play once. You have to have a specific number of people, eight, and um, you're solving a murder. And what we were told was you're never going to get that on the shelf at a place like Toys R Us because mm-hmm. nobody wants to buy a game you can only play once. You know, games are 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 the appeal of games as you play them over and over again. And I just found that really exciting to reinvent what a game was. And we went out and, uh, you know, as you said in the intro, we had success in our first year. Our first two games were called The Willing Dead and The Icicle <laughs> Twist. And I learned something really important, which was even though I came up with this idea, I said I said to myself, well, maybe I'm not the only one who's thought of this. <laughs> Uh, this idea of people taking the game of Clue and bringing it to life and everybody celebrating um, and entertaining themselves where the process is as important as who wins and loses. And we did some research and we found two women in Denver had written exactly what we wanted to create. And so my first licensing deal was licensing The Willing Dead and The Icicle Twist from two women in Denver. And that's what got us started. And we started understand, learning about licensing and trademarking because we trademarked the name Murder Mystery Party. Um, but it really was 
you know, learning the rules than breaking the rules. And that's how that's been our motto for 36 years. Let's let's understand how other people do it. But then let's let's define our own way of doing things. Right, right. So, so 31 years, you've had multiple rejuvenations, reinventions of games under Murder Mystery Party game title. Uh, what are your favorites? Where, where do you think, wow, we really hit it out of the park with that version or this version? And then I want to lead that into uh, what I believe is your most recent version is the case file yes. expansion. Yeah. Uh, great, great. I love the question. Uh, Murder Mystery Party has been wonderful for us. Uh, we had a competitor the first seven or eight years called How to Host a Murder that people might be familiar with, and they sort of disappeared. Uh, they had a different strategy than us. And we've done many, I mean, dozens of titles at this point. Uh, we had another competitor uh, be puzzled that had Murder a la Carte, and we acquired that company. Um but my favorite is probably Murder on Misty Island. Murder on Misty Island was a it's a, the theme is a college reunion 10 years after you graduate college and all the characters in it are people that I went to college with. And so for me it was really fun to create something and have it be a you know about my friends and kind of share my success at university games with them and make them really tiny minor stars by being able to be featured in a game. That's fantastic. So, so two murder mystery game manufacturers and one of them disappears. Bob, I suspect foul play. <laughs> well, if you, you might you might get a, a good argument on that if you talk to Warren Howland, who was the uh, founder of that company. Basically, basically, what happened was neither of us were very well financed and their company was in the East Coast and we were in the West Coast and they sort of it got a, no, neither of us got big national accounts. They got the East Coast accounts and we got the West Coast accounts. And they made a decision that they would focus their business on the adult game market. And we decided to have a bimodal approach where we would be in the adult game market with Murder Mystery Party and with 20 questions, but then we would also do preschool learning games. And by doing preschool learning games, we were more... Uh, interesting to the mass market accounts back in the 1980s. And so we were able to have a little bit of a broader um, bench. And then when the murder mystery parties, um, the product life cycle went down, that was kind of the end of them. And uh, we had this other part of our business. And so we were able to keep going. Uh, but you asked about case files real quickly on case files. I'm really excited about it. It's, uh, it's a wonderful next generation. We missed the entire boom on escape rooms, which is right up our alley with murder mystery parties. We were asleep at the wheel and we were focused on our children's business and on the adult party market. And, uh, and, and we ended up not being a, a real player in, in the escape room genre. But um, Case Files is really cool. You, you, you acquire a box and in the box is a detective's um, – folder on a cold case, a case that couldn't be solved. And you get to spend, you can do it by yourself or with a group of people, you get to spend several hours, and for some people it's several days, combing through 50 to 55 pieces of evidence that would be in a real um, detective's case file. So there's photographs of suspects, there are um, um, 
wills, there's police reports, there's newspaper articles, and you lay it all out on the table and you try to see if you can solve the murder. And people are just loving it. Um, and once again, we have one, uh, one major competitor also out there. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the in the battle in the battle for murder mystery party. <laughs> now that's that's amazing. I, I love uh, th- this idea that you get the real case files, you get the photography, you get right. the it's it's real life props, right? That yeah. that you get to uh, in, indulge in and ponder over and 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 think through the game. We're, and so we're printing real match books that are in one of the games, and we have hmm. five titles that we're working on right now. There's another one where we've printed napkins. That and it's actual napkin material. The newspaper articles are on real newsprint. So you really feel like you're getting something that's real. And that's what it's all about is having people feel that it's as real as possible so that they really um, get engaged in solving the murder. Yeah, becomes absolutely immersive. So 20 questions, another long running success. Uh, what do you think gave that particular game its longevity and, and how do you keep it fresh? Well, 20 questions is is fascinating. You know, it's it's something that's in the vernacular um, that we many people played when they were children at, at the dinner table or in a car. And on, I went to a friend's 30th birthday party and she introduced me to this guy, Scott Mednick. And Scott Mednick has become a Hollywood movie producer. But at the time, he was a graphic designer and he heard that I was in, inventing board games. And that's really been my primary contribution has been as a board game inventor um, more than, you know, as a businessman. And I just love the creative process. And I love being, you know, talking to inventors and being involved in, in developing product. And he said, I have this idea for uh, a board game version of 20 questions. And he gave me the idea. And I said, that's a terrible idea for a game. <laughs> and he said, well, do you think you could come up with something better? And I said, I'm sure I could come up with something better. And he said, this was all at a birthday party. He said, well, let's do this. You live in San Francisco. I live in LA. Why don't you come down and I will do all of the design work and all of the packaging for free. And you come up with the concept of the game and then we'll, we'll do the content together and we'll be partners and we'll split it, you know, 50, 50. And at that point, university games, um, that was, 1987. We were two years old. We were doing about 1.1 million in revenue, uh, which we were very proud of. And I shook hands with him and I said, okay, well, the game that I came up with worked much, much better than the game he came up with. And, but the graphic design work that he did and has done over the decades on the game has been really, really great. And we now, over the years, we've probably put out 15 versions of 20 questions. We've done two with Disney. We did two uh, um, pilots for TV shows. We have a calendar coming out with Andrews McMeal next year. And it's become just a very, very important part of our history. And I love the story that this was a guy I met at a birthday party. You know, this is the way the toy industry is. That's the way it works. We, you shake hands, have a conversation, uh, find those similarities yeah. and uh, and take off from there. No, it's really interesting. So you talk about sitting down and sort of redeveloping the game or coming up with a new version of the game. And I'm interested in your process, uh, if you have one. And some don't, some do. When you sit down and you are thinking through a rule set, uh, the way that this particular game will play, the experience that the players are having, do you go through a process? What are you thinking about as you as you develop a game? Yeah. Well, Phil, 
I, I'm, I don't want people hearing this to think this is the right way to do it because sure, sure. this is not the way I don't think this isn't the way Hasbro does it. It's not the way that Spin Master would do it. But I, I'll tell you what I do. I start out with the consumer and I say to myself, OK, who is it that I want to be sitting around a table um, playing this game that I'm trying to develop? And I actually um, visualize sitting at a table and people in the chairs. And I've been known to like, this was years ago, but I've been known to get like my children's stuffed animals and put them in the chairs. So I can <laughs> visualize that there's actually people there. And then I think about what do I want the experience of the people to be? Do I want them to be thinking really hard? Do I want them to be learning? Do I want them to be laughing? And, um, and then I think about what theme would go with that. Um, I had, we had an experience once where, um, my wife said to me, you know, the kids really like, I I have daughters, the kids really like being in the bathroom and putting stuff in the toilet and watching it flush. (laughs) Could you think of a way for them to have as much fun doing something gross that, um, you know, maybe they, they, they wouldn't have to be in the bathroom all the time. And so I went through this process and, and and came up with a game called Totally Gross that we've been selling for over 25 years. And the next thing I do, so the first thing I do is I think about specifically who the consumer is. Then I think about how I want their emotional reactions to be when they play the game. And, you know, some of these are just assumptions. You don't, there aren't right or wrong answers. And then I think about a theme. And once I have all that together, then I actually get to gameplay. I, and, 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 and that's how I do it. And the gameplay is the next thing. The gameplay, usually at this point, I come up with how you win the game and I come up with, in general, what the mechanics are. And then I give it to our design team here and I go, now try and, try and you know, go ahead and pound away at this, create prototype. Try to break it, right? Break it. <laughs> and let's figure out where is it blocking? Where are the problems? What are the gating issues? And then bring it back to me. And then, and then I'll spend more time talking to them about it. But I rarely, these days, do an entire game and write up all the rules. And the rules at university games are the very last thing we do. Um, a lot of people start with rules when they develop a game. But we at university games do the rules last. And the reason is that we, we, if we do the rules first, we feel like the creativity will get, um, will get too structured and will get cemented by the rules. And the rules will then limit our, our creativity and our imagination. But if we do the rules last, then we might have five different ways to play the game. And we have to figure out which is the way that we think is the best. And that's what we write up in the rules. Yeah, I would encourage listeners to go back and rewind and listen to that answer because there is so much value in there. And I think, Bob, what you highlighted was the balance between having that emotional experience, that fun around the table via this rule set that can sometimes, uh, as we develop these games, includes heavy math Mm -hmm. and Uh, percentages and chance of such and such happening. And we can get tangled up in that as game developers. We get tangled up in those numbers and forget about the experience. I love the clarity that you just brought to the table saying we think about the experience first and then figure out the rules. I I think that's I know that there has in the last 20 years, there's evolved an entire um, academic side to game development. And I I always find it – 
interesting and amusing that people are teaching courses in this and they are they are talking about there's a whole vernacular and jargon that I don't even know that people use to talk right. about games. And I sure. I always think to myself, I don't know if there's too many people out there that have that have been involved in developing as many games as I have. And and nobody really ever asks me how I do it. So <laughs> well, this, this is the first time. This is the first time that I've ever actually explained it. You know, I, I heard a, a podcast you had last year with Jeff Pinsker, who worked mm-hmm. with me for twelve years, and he he learned how to develop board games here at University Games, and uh, he's at Amigo now. and And I just thought the two of us have developed so many games, and yet we don't really do it the way that you know the the teachers are teaching it and right, uh, right. and and so i like how how we do it and i think starting with the experience that's how murder mystery party started how do you have a party how do you have a party at your house where you get to play the game of clue without having to sit around a board and we thought about the people first before we figured out how to do it that's great. Well, you guys should be teaching the teachers who are teaching gamification. Uh, you're, you're at the top of that chart for sure, Bob. It is it is such an interesting thing to, t- to think about. Even in the business world now, there's the, there's this term gamification, uh-huh. and this applies to losing weight or mm-hmm. just being healthy or or you know doing better in in your business. There's all of these aspects we're trying to gamify every aspect of our life. And I think there's some real insight there. Start with the experience that you want those people to have and build around that. I think that's, that's great. I want to switch topics and talk about your preschool brands that you deal with Dogman, Pete, the cat, Eric Carl, to name a few Dogman and Pete, the cat and, and Eric Carl to some degree are found extensively in schools. Mm-hmm. So there is this uh, massive footprint of character recognition for those type of games. What makes those relationships work for you? Uh, what's your process building games around already established characters? Yeah, again, you know, this is a common theme. The way University Games does this is different than the way that Hasbro um, or Mattel or Spin Master would do it. We start out with the idea that we want long product life cycles versus blockbuster movies or, or TV shows that will have short product life cycles. So we want our games to be in the market for five or 10 years. We are not looking for one and two year hits. And that means that we miss some of the things that come and go quickly. Um, but our, our, our philosophy is to work with literary titles um, and PBS TV shows and to be the leader in that because we believe that there's uh, an educational mission that's part of why we exist. And we also believe we can get longer pro- product life cycles. And it's easy to contrast us with those companies because what they tend to do, and Mattel with Uno is a great example of what I'm about to say, and Hasbro with Monopoly and some of their other titles, is they label slap. They take the same gameplay and then they put different character licenses on it, and then they and then they sell those, and you're basically buying the same game over and over again, just with different trademarked characters. Our entire concept about licenses is different. So when we get a Dogman or a Pete the Cat or a Very Hungry Caterpillar, the first thing that the designer does is read the books. That's the first thing. Uh, and then we talk about... What do we think the author's trying to do? What's the message? What, what, why was this book written? And 
what do they want children to get out of this book? And sometimes we'll actually even talk to the authors themselves. And then we'll say, let's look at these ingredients and how do we put them into a board game to bring alive what the original author or the original developer of the TV show was trying to accomplish. And so every game we do for a license is a new game. A Pete the Cat's groovy button game is a totally different game than a Very Hungry Caterpillar ABC game. And um, that makes, we believe, that makes our games more interesting, but also it creates a nice library of new games for children to play instead of playing Candyland for the fourth version, you know, with some character license that the kid, the child is interested in. So I'm sure there's other companies that do the same thing, but we really pride ourselves on the relationships that we have. And those relationships are strengthened by the fact that we care about the property. We don't just care about slapping their trademarks onto something that we already have pre-existing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something like a dog man or a Pete the cat, we might not think of that as a powerhouse heavy hitter license, but as far as just permeating the, the kids social networks at school, I think they are close to the top of the list because those characters are everywhere. Yeah. Dog man currently is, you know, has more titles in the New York times children's bestseller list than Harry Potter. And it's ranked at above Harry Potter and above the Twilight Saga. Um, Dogman is hot. Dogman is a big, big deal for children in that, you know, six to 10, six to, to 12 age group. And Pete the Cat now has a TV show on Amazon. It's, it's really popular too. So they're more popular. Both of those brands um, are more popular than Dr. Seuss. A lot of buyers don't know that because the brands didn't exist when the buyers were children and the buyers, you know, read Green Eggs and Ham and, and Cat in the Hat. But right now, um, the licenses that we have are the on-trend licenses for today's children. Yep. Yep. Absolutely relevant. Uh, so University Games is the umbrella for a number of brand segments. Mega Blue, Briar Patch, Be Puzzled. So Mega Blue sort of on that feature game, Briar Patch, Educational, Be Puzzled, Puzzles and Brain Teasers. What are the benefits to you for segmenting into those different categories and, and having a focus for each of those? Well, we again, <laughs> we have a different theory about brand than the rest of the industry. We we believe that every subcategory can develop a, in the toy industry, can develop a consumer brand. So what Lego is to construction and what Nerf is to, you know, to boys play, uh, there can be one of those for preschool games. There can be one of those for skill and action games something that the consumer recognizes in a subcategory as the right brand to buy or the favored brand or the most popular brand or the elevated quality brand. And one of the, and and again, this is not consistent with what most of the rest of the industry thinks. However, um, what we found is that it's working. So Briar Patch is our preschool brand. And when you do um, intercept, um, focus groups and surveys, what you find is the Briar Patch name and Ravensburger. Those are the two names that consumers, moms know when they think of preschool learning games. 
And we're, we've made in the last 10 years great inroads on the, on the classics, which are Candyland and, and Shoots and Ladders. Uh, and same thing with puzzles. Be Puzzled is about a puzzle plus concept. It's not regular jigsaw puzzles. It's puzzles that have something extra involved with them or they have some learning attribute. And each of our brands uh, that you mentioned has a subcategory that we're trying to take over and be number one in. And we believe that that's a stronger way to go than to label everything university games because science kits aren't really games and puzzles aren't really games. And some of the other learning things we do aren't really games. And so the university games brand is on um, children's and family, family and adult games. And then the other brands are on other subcategories where we're hoping to be able to get you know, market share dominance, but really share of mine with, with moms so that they, they're thinking, I want to buy a Be Puzzled puzzle because I know it'll have something extra in it and nobody else does that. Yeah. And building up each of those brands, uh, ultimately, the goal is for those to be uh, more and more valuable in and of themselves yeah. uh, as, as standalone brands. I and, think that's and, great. Thing. And Mega Blue, sorry to interrupt, but Mega Blue is a different thing. Mega Blue is a joint venture. We decided yes. we wanted to get into the skill and action business, and we don't know anything about plastics and electronics as an organization. And so we found what we think is the best company in France and uh, Belgium, Megable, and we have a joint venture where they're developing the products and we're doing the marketing and the distribution here in the U.S. And um, we had a, a game in our second year, we're in our third year now, but in our second year, Heist is a game that was uh, nominated for Toy of the Year. And it, yes. it was a Toady nomination. So we feel like we're on the right track with that too. Wonderful. You know, my final question is, what are you excited about for the future of university games? But I'm going to revise that, Bob. My question is, what are you looking forward to doing differently than anybody else in the future? Because this is uh, this <laughs> this is your method. We're going to do it a little differently this yeah. time. And what are you excited about applying that sensibility to? Well, I'm going to I'm going to answer your question. But first, I have to put a plug in for our new game, Antidote. Um, yes, we have do it. We, we have a game um, that was a Kickstarter game in uh, about five years ago called Antidote. And we got together with Bellwether Games, um, the inventors, Dennis Hoyle, and the artist who did a great job on the design of this game is uh, Jonathan Logan Clark. And, and um, we just love this game. And it's so timely right now to have during, you know, during a global pandemic to have a game called Antidote. And the game is really fun. And it's a, it's a light strategy game um, where players work to try to find uh, the antidote to a, uh, a pandemic that is um, going across the world. And they're in a, in, a, in a chemistry lab trying to find the antidote. Now, now, talk to me about the timing on this. Did you have this in development pre-COVID? Or is this something that you pulled the trigger on very quickly and made happen to capture that trend? We, we knew about the game for a couple of years. There were two games that we were looking at. One was called Virus and one was called Antidote. And both of these, um, we were looking at Goliath games ended up doing Virus and we ended up getting Antidote. And Antidote, um, was, it was before COVID. It was last year when we, when we agreed to do it and decided to do it. So we'd been looking for a couple of years at this game and we thought it was a great game. And the timing is just coincidental. 
but it's something for people to look at. It's available um, on Amazon. I think we have it at lots of stores around the country. Uh, but it's a really fun game if you're looking for something fun to play over the next couple of months while you're at home. 100%. And boy, it's on the tips of everyone's tongue. Let's get this antidote, right? right let's, exactly. uh, let's solve this problem. So vaccine, fantastic. Vaccine and antidote is everyone's talking about. Now to answer your, your other question, what are we going to do differently going forward? Uh, I, 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 uh, you know, I hope that we don't, as we get bigger and we are get we are, you know, getting bigger, this has been a very good year for us that we don't lose that attitude about, you know, learning the rules and breaking the rules or you know, breaking the rules and making the rules. Uh, the thing I'm most excited about right now, when I look at the future for university games is redefining, uh, how games and distribution and marketing works uh, for the game industry. And I'm not the only one trying to do this. There are many people trying to do it, but we believe that um, today's consumer are, is the Gen Z and the millennial shopper. It's no longer the baby boomer. And we believe that that means we have to change everything we're doing in how we communicate with our new customer. And the place that I'm most excited is a thing we started called UG Studios, mm-hmm. which is uh, a a channel that we have, a platform that we have on YouTube. We started it about a year ago. And the idea of UG Studios is to be a place for the entire industry to build its content so that consumers can go to one place and find out everything they want to about games. And we want it to be interactive. So I think this could become a really valuable thing for the toy industry. Uh, and we're calling it, you know, it, it, what CNN was to cable TV, we hope to be, you know, to YouTube in, 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 in the, the next decade. Um, we're launching game shows on there. We're doing interviews. We're, we're doing how-tos. And we're going beyond just university games product. We're, 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 our philosophy about how to build our business is to make the pie bigger. And so if people are playing more board games and buying more puzzles, then we'll benefit along with everybody else um, versus thinking of it as a zero sum where every every game you buy from Hasbro is taking one away from us. We'd like to see everybody be successful. So we're really trying to have a platform where everybody can give us their content and everybody can be part of it. And um, we're hoping to have programming in the next six months where people will be able to go and know at nine o'clock, it will be Goliath games hour. And at eight o'clock, it will be spin master games hour. And um, that's what I'm excited about. And that would be a a way different way of promoting our games by building up the whole industry than how other people do it. I love that. Very forward thinking. We talked about it a little in our webinar uh, mm-hmm. at the People of Play conference. Um, and we all agreed uh, the, the game space is this perfect opportunity to present social content more than just the game rules, which is a great it's, it's great for that, too. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I will rarely open up the pamphlet and read the game rules. I will want to watch someone play it and explain the rules to me on YouTube. So more than just the rules, but a great place to build relationship, to 
to to build entertainment around these games, to build that story of entertainment, you know, a live murder mystery. Why not? Why not? It just seems the perfect uh, extension of the games business. So excited to see how you develop that. And, uh, and again, doing something a little differently to push us forward into the future, Bob, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, how can people reach out, buy games, find out more about university games and connect with you so that, they're aware of what you're doing next. Well, if people want to connect with me, uh, the company has a Facebook page and the company has a Twitter account and you can, you can get to me through that. Um, or you can call me if you want. I mean, I'm not that hard to get a hold of my, my, my phone number is 415-934-3705. If people have game ideas or they just want to talk, it's totally Okay. Um, it may take me a while to get back to you or my assistant might, but I, I try to be accessible to people. Uh, we, we are, uh, all of our games are available on an e-commerce business. That's a sister company called rugame.com, A-R-E-Y-O-U-G-A-M-E.com. And that's a great place to go to see what we're doing new. And we like to, we, we like to launch new ideas there before we go into ma- mainstream. Uh, so that's another thing we didn't talk about. We talk another hour about that, but are you game.com is a really interesting, um, adventure that we're having in e-commerce and in marketing direct to consumers. Yeah, let's do it, Bob. I'll have you back on the show and we'll talk all about that. Listeners do not blow up Bob's phone all at once. Please <laughs> coordinate, take turns. <laughs> totally fine. I, I, I doubt very many CEOs give their phone numbers out in your podcast. Do they? <laughs> I, I don't know. You may be the first. I may be the first. Man. It'll ring right at my desk. And again, I'm happy to talk to people. And if my assistant answers, we'll get back to you. It may take a couple of days, but I'll get back we'll, to you. We'll, we'll see how it goes. If you have to get a new phone, let me know and All we'll right. work something out. <laughs> Bob, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. You've just really unpacked and educated us uh, and taken us inside University Games. I can't thank you enough. Sure. Happy to do it. And uh, you, you do a great job. And I hope everybody has a happy holiday. Very good. Bob, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. This show is brought to you by the Power Kid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at PowerKidDesign.com, or email me directly, phil at PowerKidDesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.